10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we have entered into October, we uh, began a series through the five solas of the Reformation, this word that means alone, and we began by, began by looking at scripture alone. Last week we looked at faith alone, and now we come to grace alone. Grace uh, is a word and concept that we often like to talk about. It has actually become, I think, somewhat commonplace uh, in our culture. We'll hear the word used in songs. Uh, we name our children Grace. We literally named our child Grace, Gracie. Uh, and when, as we do this, we can almost uh, let the concept of the word, the definition of the word, what the word is actually communicating, can get somewhat left behind. Grace is unmerited favor. It's a gift given to you that you don't earn and that you don't deserve. Maybe in, the, in a modern context or even in an everyday life context, uh, you mess up at work and your boss says, you know what, it's okay, I'll take care of it. Maybe you incur some debt at a hospital and they say, you know what, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll write it off. Maybe as a child or when you were a child or children now, you get in trouble and your parents say, you know what, it's okay. It's getting something that we have not earned. And it's a concept that we like and that we also don't like. Because we also have this ingrained in us, this uh, innate sense of reciprocity. If you do something for me, I, I have to make it even. I have to do something back for you so that 
we're on the same level and that you don't have one up on me because we like this idea, even though we like grace, we like the idea of self-reliance and self-sufficiency and not feeling like we owe to anyone. So we make things even. And the reality is, is that we, st- we bring this attitude with us even to God. God comes in and says, I give you the free grace of my son. And we say, okay, that's awesome. But let me, let me show you that I've earned that grace. Let me show you how good I am and how good I can be so that maybe I deserve that grace. We, we try to justify the grace that we're given. Martin Luther, this a father of the Reformation called the issue of grace, the hinge on which all turns. It was an important issue to the reformers. And in addition to faith alone, we are saved by grace alone. If it's just faith alone, then faith itself can become a work. And the argument today, even still today in our modern context, is not necessarily that we're saved by Christ, that we're saved by faith, or that we're saved by grace. The troubling word for a lot of people is alone. We are saved by Christ alone, by faith alone, uh, through his grace alone. Does Christ alone save us by faith alone, through grace alone, or do we merit our salvation? And the reality is that we cannot believe or repent or understand or take the smallest steps towards God apart from his grace. And that's what we see in our text today. For it has been by grace that you have been saved. Paul says it here in these 10 verses twice. For it is by grace that you have been saved. So as we consider this grace, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the favor of God, the provision of God, and the power of God. The favor of God the provision of God, and the power of God. Let us begin by looking at the favor of God. As I've already stated, when we look at the word grace, uh, the the most typical, at least in church circles, uh, definition we get for this is grace is unmerited, the unmerited favor of God. And I think one of the key words in there is, is the word unmerited. Uh, if we break that down, the, the word in there is merit, to merit something, to uh, be deserved or to earn something. And it is unmerited. It is undeserved. It is unearned. Grace is first and foremost God determining that he would look down upon us with favor and deliver us from our sin. I think if you consider your childhood and you, or you even, when I was a child, all I really wanted to do was grow up, right? And I always had adults telling me, you don't want to grow up. Don't do it. You don't want to grow up. Because there's a lot of things as a kid that we expect are going to happen. If we want to go do something, we expect our parents are going to do it for us, right? But we have already begun to do Christmas lists, right? And... The Christmas list is children. You say, these are what I want. These are the things that I want. And I'm, I'm expecting that my parents are going to provide these for me. As children, we expect that our parents are going to feed us at mealtime. And the reason as children we expect these things, oftentimes, is because it's always happened that way. My mom 
loves Christmas. And the way she, I think one of the ways she shows loves, and, and we've told her she needs to back off, but she never does, is by getting us things that we want for Christmas. And she's always asking, what do you want? What do you want? She's showing our love for that. And, and so you begin to expect it because that's the way it always was. But we have to distinguish uh, privileges from rights. And there's a difference there, isn't there? I think even if you look in our modern context, uh, that's where we've gone wrong. We have begun to call privileges rights. I deserve this. I have the right to an education. And you're like, okay, that's not really the case. Uh, Education at times is a privilege. There's a difference between rights and privileges, and we must be grateful for what we are given. Understanding that it is given to us. The presumptuous, in essence, will say this, it's God's job to forgive me. And the answer to that is, no, it's not. It's not his job to forgive you. That's not God's job. He forgives you because he chooses to, to lavish his grace upon you. So we have to know some things about ourselves if we're going to understand grace. So here, first, Paul tells us, let me tell you about yourself. And the first thing he says is, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Okay, you're dead. That's your state. First and foremost, you're dead. You are spiritually dead. Adam's fall in the garden left him and all his descendants corrupted by sin. Now, what do we know about a dead person? Well, they're dead. That's exactly right. They can't talk. They can't move. They cannot do anything for themselves. They're dead. They're dead. They can't do anything. We're dead. We have no ability to respond. We have no desire to respond. Paul calls this the flesh, our human nature. Other places of scripture says that we're slaves to sin. We're in bondage. And we don't for a minute deny human responsibility. We do have a responsibility. People are free to do whatever they please, whatever they want to. But, but it's false to say if we say the will is completely free. It's bound. Because we're dead. That's where we are. We cannot impart to ourselves life. Our situation is hopeless. We cannot obey. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. As Paul says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. That's who we're following. The spirit that is now at work with the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind. And we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of of mankind. That's the second thing. So we're dead. We're not only dead though, we're defiant. We are by nature children of wrath. It's not that we're simply unresponsive to God. It's not that we're just like, oh, I'm just not going to answer you. We are rebellious against God. Our hearts are hardened. Uh, Ephesians 4 chapter 8 or verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We indulge, apart from God, we indulge in the desires of the flesh. We are actively disobedient to him. 
gospel light uh, is not natural to us. We hate it. We are both unable and unwilling to please God. So we are dead. We are defiant, but we are also doomed. We are children, he says, of wrath. You were born under the curse, and God's wrath is upon you. Unless he were to step in and do something, that's what would happen to us. And so we continue to indulge in the flesh of, uh, and the mind, no matter how that presents itself. We, we fail to do what Jesus commanded us to do, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. We have chosen to love self above all else, constantly in rebellion. And then we come to verse 4. Martin Lloyd-Jones says these are the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture. In the Greek, it's deus the, or de theus, but God. Okay, you are dead, you are defiant, you are doomed. But you're really not that bad of a person. And Jesus said, look, God looked on you and said, you know what? They're really not that. No, that's not what it says. But God, someone needed to do something. Someone needed to intervene and we couldn't do it. But because of his great love for us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Lewis Burkhoff, the systematic, great systematic theologian, said grace is the unmerited goodness or love of God to those who have forfeited it and are by nature under a sentence of condemnation. God was not required to save us. He did not have to save us. He wasn't required to save any of humanity. Because here's the reality. If we believe in an obligated grace, then it's not grace, it's justice. What do I mean by that? If grace is obligated, if God must save us, then it must be a definition of what is just. But he is not obligated to save us. Intervention is not a matter of fairness. Our presumption of God's love for us robs us of the true appreciation of the love we have in Christ. We are dead and we are brought into life. And he did it because he loved us. That's the only reason. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood. And forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished us upon him because he loved us. This is the hope of the gospel. Those who are dead have been brought to life. Those who were enemies, children of wrath, have been made sons and daughters. We must acknowledge that it's not about what we do. It's not about what we earn. 
It's about what he has done for us. He has brought us to life. We cannot earn our salvation. We can never be good enough to obtain the righteousness of God. So we have to humbly rely and rest and trust in him for all things. As we understand the grace, we boldly live for our king. We serve not in in an effort to earn righteousness because we can't earn righteousness. As we saw last week, that righteousness has been given to us freely. No, we serve because we want to be obedient to our God, to love our God. Because he has provided for us. This is our second point, the provision of God. Grace is not only the saving favor of God towards us, but it's the power of God for us. Because God loved us, he provided for us a savior. God loved us so much that he provided for us a savior. He makes us alive with Christ. This provision is well known. When I say, what is the gospel? You immediately begin to fill in the blanks, right? Because we know the gospel, at least the essence of the gospel, most of us. Uh, we go, yes, the gospel is Jesus uh, was born in a manger. And we're about to hit the cycle where we go right through it, right? We're about to hit December, and then that'll get us into early spring. And we're about to go through that, that time of the year where we look at all this. <clears throat> Jesus was born. He was born without sin. He lived a sinless life. Uh, he ministered for 30 some odd years. Or no, that's not true. He ministered for like two or three years. Uh, he was 30 some odd years old. Uh, and then he went and he died a, a sinless death. And then he rose again from the dead. This is the gospel, right? This is what he has provided for us. And we know as we look at Romans, all have, fall, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are saved by a gift of his grace. Because God is is gracious he provides for hopeless unworthy sinners god has made provision for you in his son but why 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 would he provide this for you because it was his own gracious choice to do so given what i am my guilt my corruption why was I, there's, I love the hymn, um, oh, how, I just lost it. Oh, oh, how sweet, what is the, how awful, I can't even remember because I'm missing it up. How sweet and awesome is the place, is, is the hymn. And one of the lines in there says, why was I made to hear his voice, to enter while there's room? And the answer is to the question of why is, for no other reason than his gracious choice, because he chose to love me. And when I un- understand my own unworthiness, when I can understand how great a debtor I really am, we just sang this, right? In Come Thou Fount, oh, to grace, how great a debtor <clears throat> daily I'm constrained to be. We are such great debtors. And we must be thankful for the grace of Jesus. We must understand how much God has done for us. Look, it's not that God says, look, I'll meet you halfway here. Just meet me halfway. That's not what happens here. He came all the way to you. It's, I love the picture of Ezekiel. 
And in Ezekiel, if you've ever read Ezekiel, there's this imagery where Ezekiel goes to the valley of dry bones. And as he's watching this valley, and literally, it's a valley of dry bones. There are bones in the valley that are dried up. And if you know anything about a skeleton, and we've hit hit this time of Halloween where you might see them out and abouts, uh, there are bones. Literally, it's just bones, right? There's nothing else on it but bones. And what begins to happen as Ezekiel's sitting there is uh, musculature begins to come over these bones. And then skin. And all of a sudden, these dry bones are alive. (laughs) And this is a picture of what Jesus and the grace of God does to the sinner. So we are lifeless dry bones. That's who we are. Apart from Jesus, we are just skeletons laying around. He comes and he brings life to those dry bones. He knits flesh on us. He breathes life into the inanimate. We are holy 100%, not 99.99 whatever repeating percent, 100% a work of his hands. This is who we are. It gives us our identity. It shows us that we're to live before him. It keeps us from arrogance and pride. It causes us to be confronted with the power of God, which is our third and final point. The power of God. Grace is the power of God that gives and applies to us salvation. Grace, in essence, is that favor of God, which leads to the exercise of a converting grace, a converting power. It's not that God just simply provides for the possibility of salvation. He ensures his effectual application on our behalf. This is, uh, look at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. Okay. So if if you're sitting there today and you're going, I don't understand how you can say it's not what I do. Uh, Then don't listen to my words. Listen to the words of Paul uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. For for grace but you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You did not do it. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. And really, this is, you you talk about a, okay, Daniel, you're talking about this doctrine of grace alone, but where do you see it biblically? Here. It's not by works. It's by a, a grace that you've been given wholly through the power of God. It was all his initiation grace underlines faith by grace you have been saved grace enables our response of faith and so that faith becomes a response it's not a work we perform to earn grace it's not something in ourselves it's a gift from God and this leads to the most humbling place that we can possibly go right because it's not about what you did it's not about what I earned it's not about me being good enough It's about what he did. He has regenerated our hearts. And if that's the case, we have to be humble, don't we? We, It's so humbling to say, okay, I'm standing here today and I claim Christ, but why? Why would, why should I? And I can't say, well, it's because I'm good enough. It's can't say, I've read the Bible enough. I went to seminary. I can't fill in any of those things. All I can say is because he loved me because he chose to love me because he came to my life 
Faith is a response to grace. It's not a work we perform as we sin. He regenerates our heart, hearts. Excuse me. He works faith in us. He causes us to be adopted, to be justified, to preserve us until someday he glorifies us. God elected us for salvation. We can go to other places in, in the Bible and it says this happened before the foundation of the world. We were predestined for adoption through Christ Jesus. We see this in, in verse 1, or chapter 1, excuse me. Starting in verse 3, blessed be the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him when before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestines us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved He has predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He regenerates us. He gives us faith and repentance. He sanctifies us and preserves us to the day we'll be with him. Redemption, in this sense, becomes a completely Trinitarian work. The Father planning salvation, electing people to be saved. The Son accomplishing salvation through his incarnation, his life of obedience, and the Spirit applying that salvation through regenerating sanctification and preservation. In essence, we could say it like this. The Father elects, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit regenerates. He gives us a spirit of adoption, sanctifies us, preserves us, glorifies us. Election, then, makes work salvation impossible. It's not about our works. We can go to Romans 9, 11 and 12. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. For Jacob I love and Esau I hated. Uh, Jacob was chosen when he was not yet born before the, he had done any good or bad. It was about the choice of God. So if uh, we look at scripture and we see the reality of the sovereign grace of Jesus, how do we respond? (coughs) First, it should humble us. And it should drive us to worship and adoration. When God shatters the theological box that we put him in, when we realize our God is so much greater than we think he is, when we come to realize the full extent of his grace, there's nothing left to do but worship him. There's nothing left we can do but say, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Then we come with humble gratitude. We realize who we are. That all that we have is due to his gift. And we come in gratefulness with dependent living upon him with a ministry that flows out from him. Because here's the reality. Given the extent of your guilt, given the extent of your corruption, given the extent of your foolishness, we can only live in constant dependence upon Christ. Only as we abide in him can we live the Christian life. 
and bear fruit in his kingdom. And so this becomes the reality of the church. It's not effective ministry and faithful ministry is not about clever programs. It's not about appealing to any sort of business model or entertainment model or any kind of model the world would give us. It's not about trusting in self and being self-reliant or self-sufficient. Effective ministry, true effective gospel ministry becomes about laboring in total dependence upon the spirit of Christ. The spirit of God that Christ has given to us, who is able to save us to the uttermost. So our testimony, our evangelism uh, becomes this. I am a wretched sinner, undeserving of the grace of Jesus, done nothing to save myself. And yet, but God, I should say, but God in his infinite grace and mercy chose to love me. And I am thankful for that. And this is the testimony we must bring to a needy world. You are dead and your trespasses in the sin and there is no hope for you outside of yourself. But God, but God, in his infinite grace and mercy sent his son Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have been given the grace of God. You have been given his unmerited grace favor it has been applied to you through the working of the Holy Spirit he has made provision for you in his son he has given you reconciliation not something that you have earned for you are unable to do so and he has shown you the power of God the saving power of Jesus We must put aside all else. All else. All priorities that we may have, all uh, arrogance that we may still be clinging on to, and we must respond in faith and repentance. We are to respond in worship and in praise. And I tell you, so often I feel like we're tentative in our worship of God. And the reason we become tentative in our worship of God is we, we begin to make it about self. I just, I can't, I can't pray the right prayers. I can't sing the right notes. I can't go to that person and tell them about Jesus because I'm not equipped enough. And we talk about all these, I can't, I just can't. Or, or we may say something like this, I just can't worship at that place because, well, I just, the music is not my taste. Or uh, the pastor preaches or prays too long. Or, um, or we, we might say something like, uh, I just need something more uplifting. And we begin to make all these excuses of why we can't. And I think in the reality, as we do this, all we're saying is... <coughs> God's grace is not sufficient for me. I need to add these layers. Now, if we go in a place and our testimony is, I don't believe the gospel of Jesus is there, then get out. Go run, flee. 
I believe that 100%. But I think in the, in the body of Christ, in his kingdom, uh, we have become so discontent and disenfranchised with the church because we are relying on the church to be a source of uh, entertainment for us or a satisfaction for us. And it has no longer become about the grace of God. And you look at the world outside of America and you look about what they would give You look at the church outside of America in places where they are literally, if they stand up for Jesus, they are literally losing their heads. And you say, hey, I would like you to bring you to this place and it's maybe not that big and it's, it's not, you say, I can freely worship Jesus? That's all I care about. And our mentality has become so self-centered and self-justifying that we're losing the wondrous beauty of the gospel. We are to respond to it in faith and worship and praise. And we must not be silent. As you're confronted with the gospel, as you're confronted with the grace of Jesus, if you are indeed that dead, you were that dead bones and you have been brought to life, I tell you what, have any of you, I don't know, and this is kind of rhetorical. Have you ever known someone who was basically on death's door and they had a physician who was able to resuscitate them? Do you know how they act towards that person? Or, or even in a situation where um, maybe in some of these tragic storms that have come through and they have a first responder <coughs> who literally saved their life. Do you know how they view that person? There's almost, a, you know, the, it's the hero's mentality right and it's not I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily speaking but in those situations you begin to hear story oh let me just tell you about this man saved my life this woman saved my life when I was I had a great event and they were able to bring me back and you can't stop talking about it why because you had this moment where you were certain of death and you were brought life okay Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you something about yourself. Your death was certain. Not only was your death certain, you were already dead. And you've been brought to life. Go tell the story. It should be so a part of who you are that people are tired of hearing you tell the story. Go tell the story of the grace of Jesus And I'm not trying to guilt you into it. It should be so part of who you are that you cannot help but tell the story of the grace of Jesus. I was dead and he brought me to life. Let me share this with you so you can know about this God being rich in mercy who with great love loved us and gave us Jesus when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive in him. That must be our testimony every single day. Go forth proclaiming the love of Jesus and the mercy and the grace, the unmerited, the unearned favor of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the grace with which he has loved us, the grace that he has given us, that he has brought us out of death into life. Lord, press upon our hearts the wondrous reality of that grace. 
cause it to be the thing that drives us to who we are? And would we in faith respond in worship and adoration and pray? We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please.